Father, thank you. Thank you for everything that our Lord Jesus has accomplished for us in offering himself up, up, up freely and willingly according to the plan worked out with the Father and the Spirit in eternity past and uh, coming to this earth and uh, enduring the limitations of humanity it was perfect without sin but but nevertheless the limitations for 33 years approximately and then finally uh going to the cross uh and suffering that death which was not even comparable to other deaths for for this one was uh the result of, of himself freely offering his life for each and all of us sinners, right? So, so Father, I just thank you for that and that you accepted his offering there um, willingly since it was your plan all along. And, uh, and his death and burial and then resurrection were, were sufficient to accomplish a perfect salvation for us and including uh, the uh, the righteousness which has been imputed to our accounts. Father, that that could happen is most remarkable. Uh, we strain in our minds to comprehend it, but we need to take you at your word always, and so we do, and therefore we can have assurance regarding our salvation. Father, I, I pray for... Um, our people in our country that uh, are so divided and many are so astray from anything that, that could be considered good. I mean, they're living lives in open rebellion against you. It's unrighteousness uh, abundantly being demonstrated, unfolding before our eyes uh, here and there and in many, many parts of the land. So, Father, vis it's visible and troubling to us to see. But Father, thank you that we're not part of this world system. We're in it, but we're not part of it. So we rejoice in that and in who we are in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we're seated at your right hand in the heavenlies, as it were, looking down on this earth from that exalted position. Father, I pray for our people that you draw many to yourself in these days. Pray for our president and and his advisors and cabinet and <clears throat> all the others in our government of whatever branch they may be found in, Father, I pray that you would work to um, protect them and to encourage many to take a stand for truth and justice and, and not to be captured by slogans, political uh, intrigue, um, just... Uh, waywardness, uh, which we see on every level now. Father, I pray that there'd be a dividing between them and that it might become clear. So uh, over time, many would uh, see that there are those who are truly uh, trying to keep their inaugural pledges uh, to do that which is truly beneficial for our nation and to protect it, guard it, and 
to reverence the uh, the founding do- documents, which are so important to us here in this country. Father, we just pray for them for safety and encouragement and strength in difficult times. Father, I pray for us today as we open your word. I pray that you bless us. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, we continue today with this great subject of um, the working in a mighty and very visible way for a number of years there in Jerusalem and in those villages surrounding Jerusalem, uh, beginning there on the day of Pentecost and in that year uh, and continuing on for some time. Um, there are great contrasts to be observed here, and that's what I, I've been trying to show you from the scripture. Contrast between what was happening there at that time and what's happening today. I mean, you, you can look far and wide today if you have a discerning eye. I have to emphasize that. If you have discernment and not see occurring today what was happening in those days, months, and years there as recorded in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and as we go through this pretty carefully, our goal is to show those contrasts so that we will not be led astray by those that make false claims. There are false teachers on every side teaching that this period in uh, time is to be the model for us today. And yet what we find there is a manifestation on every side of the work of the Holy Spirit in a very special, we could say in a Pentecostal way, using the word correctly and not incorrectly, but um, that uh, the signs, wonders, and miracles are dominating uh, on every side. And uh, that was a very fundamental and key and and. Uh, required part of the ministry of the apostles at that time, right? Um, so Pentecost that year, meaning the year that that Acts chapter 2 describes, was a very, very special day. There were on that day about 2,000 souls saved, right, in just one, one uh, couple of hours there as Peter preached. There were Jews out of every nation in the area because they were required to attend uh, meetings in Jerusalem at least uh, three times during the year. And uh, if they were at all able, they certainly did that. So Jews out of every nation, not even speaking any longer the Hebrew language since they were uh, exiled in other nations for so, so many years, right? Um, so that was a great day. Acts chapter 2 describes it in detail. Chapter 3, we see uh, Peter continuing to preach. In both of these uh, sermons, what Peter does is to outline how God had worked in the past and how God had prophesied and promised that he would work in the future. And now we see a foreshadowing of that. Peter says, right? And so uh, much of it was dependent upon God having sent forth his son, right? Who who actually initiated this new uh, dispensation 
which I'll call the Pentecostal or uh, Holy Spirit dispensation. Uh, you may not have heard that that name or title before, but I uh, just draw that from what we read here in the book of Acts, right? Surely uh, there's more here than just a sacred recording of history. There's, there's a biblical doctrine being communicated here, and uh, so we're uh, seeking to know what that was. In other words, how was God actually working at that at that time? Not how did people feel about it or, or what did their passions dictate, but how was God actually working uh, at that time? So when we get to chapter 3, Peter preaches boldly again, and, and now we have a total of about 5,000 believers, just counting the men. And then we get uh, into chapter 4, and uh, that lays a foundation for what we're going to look at today. But what we see in Acts chapter 4 is the Holy Spirit working under that dispensational plan in the body of the believers, right? What was God actually doing in the lives of believers? And so we see very practically revealed in some detail what God was doing at that time within the body of believers. Um, and it's it's quite an amazing thing, really, to see. And uh, that brings us right up to where I want to start today. There was a gospel being preached. We we looked at that before. There were a number of elements to that gospel that Peter and the apostles were preaching. And we saw that there were a number of things that were required uh, of those that would be saved. And uh, we made a list of those things before. Now, that's not to exclude faith. Uh, faith was always required. Uh, faith has always been a requirement by God for anyone who would be uh, brought into his redemptive plan. So in whatever period of time it was, whatever the dispensation was, no one could have ever been saved by works. Uh, Paul makes that very clear in his letters. He's not only writing about today, he's writing about uh, all time. Nobody could be saved by works, but there were many ways in which uh, the Holy Spirit and worked in the hearts of men down through the years uh, through the message that had been communicated to mankind. So uh, if one would take God uh, at his word, <laughs> uh, receiving what was revealed, as it were, then one could be saved. But sometimes more than works were required, and that was certainly the case here. When Peter preaches, you know, he makes a list of things. One of the things on the list is water baptism. Uh, what he says about water baptism there is that it's an absolute requirement. And uh, no one can be saved apart from it at that time. That's not true today, but it's certainly true then. And uh, so uh, it was one of the requirements, but there were others. And uh, one that we didn't talk much about so far, but may look into a little later uh, if the Lord leads that way. But um, that's the issue of, of enduring to the end. We've mentioned it, but not really looked into it in detail. Enduring to the end. They were required to endure to the end uh, at that time. If they didn't, then that indicated there was an issue with 
their faith because what what had been promised is that if they would take God at his word, then the Holy Spirit would come upon them and into them and would accomplish his great work. We read about that back in Ezekiel's prophecy, you remember, in chapters 36 and 37, right? And they would be caused to walk then in obedience to the law that had been revealed, right? So that's uh, what we actually see happening in those early chapters in the book of Acts. Um, however, there's an issue, and that's what we're going to look at today. And that issue uh, comes about because of uh, those who were in the assembly, but who were not actually believers. But they were religiously simply fitting in. Okay, now how easy is that to do? All right. People join up with groups for many reasons. One of them is that they is the social motivation, right? Uh, everyone is uh, desiring to be part of some social group, right? And if they're not being fulfilled close by, they'll seek out others, right? So uh, God's uh, principles for that founded on marriage and family, and then beyond that, uh, extended family and friends and so forth, right? So the social dimension is very important. And what we're going to see here is that there were those who uh, were false believers, as it were, and presenting themselves as true. And uh, that's going to have a consequence, as we shall see. So uh, I'd like us to, to start today uh, reading uh, not at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, which really would give us the whole picture, but I'm hoping you've already done that, and we really don't have time to read all of that again today. We did read much of it last uh, time we met. I'm just going to read from Acts chapter 4, and then and then right after that I'll ask uh, Patty to read. But in Acts chapter 4... <coughs> Peter says uh, in verse 10, he says, Be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. There had been a great miracle worked with the man that was uh, lame from birth, right? And uh, he now is no longer lame, and everybody knows that this was a great miracle. There was nothing false about it at all. No uh, sleight of hand, uh, no uh, <laughs> games going on here, but this is a real uh, healing of this man. And uh, what Peter says is that you don't understand how this happened, but I do. He says, uh, this is the accomplished through Jesus of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, and by him this man stands before you whole, right? Then he says in 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Well, the formal leaders of the Jewish nation are united in opposition to Peter and the apostles in this particular preaching 
and they want to cover it up, hide it away somehow. The fact that the miracles are so visible is a big problem for them. It challenges their authority very, very directly, right? Because God is working in a way apart from them, apart from the uh, the religion and the system of religion that they have been uh, fostering amongst this nation and its people, right? So that's where we stand here when we, we get to this uh, next section. And here there's a, going to be an emphasis on unity. <laughs> and that's a message easily twisted and and uh, mis misinterpreted, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit was creating a unity, and it's demonstrated in many, many ways here. And, and uh, we, we already saw some of that, uh, but there's more to be seen today. Okay, so, so the Spirit enabled unity, God working in the people of God there, was a great miracle. Okay, it was a very, very great miracle, and one befitting of the coming kingdom, according to uh, what Ezekiel had prophesied, right? In Ezekiel's prophecy, verse, uh, chapters 36 and 37, he says, there will be that unity someday when the Holy Spirit comes into you and transforms you, right? Um, then you will be compelled, he said, to obey the rule of law that's given, right? Okay, so it says in Acts 4, 32, and Patty's going to read it for us, that this great unity was now clearly and visibly manifest throughout the body of believers there. Patty, would you read from Acts 4, verses 32 through 37, please? And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is, being interpreted, the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> well, how many times have you read this, right, and said, well, this is an example of how we're supposed to live today. And that's what's preached everywhere, right? This is an example of how we're supposed to live today. But the interesting thing is nobody does this. Do you know anybody who's done this? Well, there may be a few, but uh, nearly no one, even the most mature believers, don't do it. They still have their houses uh, here and there, and, you know, they haven't sold everything, and, and they're holding everything in common. This was a surely uh, and absolutely communist system. I don't mean with uh, a dictator in charge. Well, <laughs> the Holy Spirit was certainly <laughs> compelling it, 
<clears throat> but um, uh, everything was shared in common. So, uh, in fact, the the uh, political system of communism was uh, copied from some of these verses and taken out of context, right? Uh, according to their system, we're supposed to live uh, totally like this today, right? Uh, but without God. Without God, yes, because there is no God, as they see it, right? Uh, so that's a total perversion <laughs> of, of Scripture. But what was really happening here is that the Holy Spirit motivated this, right? Holy Spirit um, motivated it, and more than motivated, well, since he did motivate it, it was a requirement. All believers, notice it, it says that. Uh, they were of one heart. Okay. There weren't any exceptions. They were of one soul. Okay. They, they didn't put, uh, consider their possessions to be their own. They had all things in common, and uh, they had sold everything, right, and put it into the common pot, okay? Uh, nobody had any serious lacks because uh, the uh, financial capability was there to meet the need, and uh, so it was. That, that's how Chapter 4 ends okay but that that sets up the situation we want to consider today it says in verse 36 um that there was a man uh named Joses who was given a new name Barnabas it says he was a levite and from Cyprus right it says he had land but sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so ends chapter 4. But, of course, there are no chapter divisions in the true word of God, right? And so chapter 5, verse 1 starts out right there, okay? Um, now, <laughs> this is this is remarkable. Uh, what, what was happening there wasn't happening for the first time, even all the way back in chapter 2. It said that they all, all that believed, all that believed were together, had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods. That's chapter 2, verse 44, right? And they continued with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and singleness of heart, right? That's Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through uh, 40. Six. Okay. So, uh, that's the pattern of life here at this time in this Pentecostal dispensation, right? And the other thing that's common, very common, is healings and, and miracles are abounding on every side. Every place the apostles go, there are healings and everyone who uh, has a need has the need met directly, right? So, uh, all that come with a physical problem, they're healed instantaneously uh, at the apostles' hand. Okay, that's where we find ourselves there. So now I'd like us to continue it and look at this this Pentecostal dispensation uh, because <clears throat> we see that that the stage was set, right? The stage was set. Set for what? Well, for what's going to occur next, right? The stage was set, and that's uh, those last verses in chapter 4. Then we get to chapter 5. So 
Uh, Linda, would you please read, uh, and we'll see, we'll see what happens now that the stage has been set in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thy own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Thank you, Linda. Okay, so what we see here is that this is an historical event, but there's a profound and important teaching uh, hidden in it. Uh, and it has to do with what's happening there at that time in that community of believers, right? The Holy Spirit has, as, as uh, Peter had promised, right, has come upon them and he is in them and he has totally transformed everything. And therefore, they are sharing everything in common. Okay, <clears throat> well... Notice, notice that um, verse 4 says uh, very clearly, I mean, Peter has received a revelation from the Lord regarding Ananias' gift, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and what Peter has said is that, Ananias, you, you have not given over all of what you received for the land. In other words, <laughs> he's uh, maybe tithing or something like that, but <laughs> there's a lot left. <laughs> okay? They were required to give everything. Okay, that's pretty clear. And what he says in verse 4 was, well, uh, <clears throat> you, you, when you owned it, it was yours, but after it was sold, uh, you know, then you had the money, that was yours, but but um, the giving of the money was to be done uh, in accordance with the power of God, right? And not uh, selfishly uh, with withholding part of it, right? For your own personal reasons, right? And so he actually says to, to Ananias in verse 4, you have lied to God. Oh, okay, that's interesting, isn't it? He says, you have not lied to men. In other words, you're, it's not that you're lying to me or the apostles. You are lying to God. Okay. Now you might think, and you know, many think, oh, that's such an incredibly great sin. It would uh, merit significant judgment, right? To lie to God. Well, let me ask you the question: How often have you done what Ananias did? Okay. And uh, isn't it, it one of the most common things? For believers to to have a, a relationship to God that's not totally transparent. It's there are things held back, right? It's our human nature to do so. And unless the Holy Spirit were compelling you, uh, you you wouldn't would in fact uh, be controlled to some degree by uh, the sin nature, right? As Ananias was. Okay. Well. Let's see what happens here, because uh, it's not as if uh, Ananias and Sapphira are living under grace. In fact, they were not, uh, as we shall see. 
so to, to continue our reading, Lewis, would you read from Acts chapter 5, verses 5 through 11, please? Or see, the judgment will now fall on Ananias and Sapphira. And Hananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours later, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, E, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded out the ghost. And the young man came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Lewis. Uh, what a difference here uh, between what was happening there at that time and what's happening today. I mean, how many lie to the Lord? Well, to start with, all the false teachers do, right? And they are abounding everywhere, right? And the people that believe their false doctrines are lying to the Lord. That's very common. Are they all... Uh, being carried off dead and buried? Certainly not, right? Uh, so God's working out a different plan today. But what he was doing then, then at that time, was simply carrying out what the prophets and, and then what Peter had preached, right? Which was that God was going to save his people, purify them, and prepare them for the establishing of the kingdom. And they would be uh, delivered because the, the spirit of God and his work would come and uh, deliver them from the evil that otherwise would uh, overwhelm them. And yet here in the midst of this assembly, which is conforming, we see all those uh, verses that prove that, conforming to the requirements of God, because those were the true believers, right? We have two who uh, do not have the same set of motivations. <laughs> and uh, why not? Well, clearly, I, I would say it's clear. Uh, you may say it's not that clear, but I think it's relatively clear that they were actually unbelievers who were uh, apostates in the group, uh, presenting themselves as if they were believers when they were not. Okay. So they were removed because the purity of the assembly required it at that time. And God performed that act. So they lived in a perfectly communal society. And those that uh, did not have the Holy Spirit's empowering did not perform and were removed in due time. Right. In this particular case, didn't take long at all for that to occur. Okay, let's continue. Patty, I would like you to now read um, the next verses. Well, we, we see that signs and wonders were uh, just everywhere here in the midst of these believers. So Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. 
And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Again, the differences just stand out so clearly. I mean, this is just quite amazing what God was doing at this time. And, of course, it was all in confirmation that the preaching of the kingdom was, in fact, uh, the message of God, right? He was certifying it in this way because the kingdom requires of course, when it's established, every sick person who is allowed into the kingdom will be healed. Okay, so this is a foreshadowing of that. We've talked a lot about foreshadowing in previous uh, meetings. <clears throat> That's very clearly what's happening here, a foreshadowing. Um, so it says everyone was healed, verse 16. So, well, <laughs> those who are ill today, some with... Uh, uh, very severe diseases would love to be healed, right? Well, if you were living at that time and you were a believer, it would not have been held back. I'm quite sure of that. Okay, so we're living under grace today and we wait on the Lord for his help, don't we? Um, now what we're going to see next is that the religious leaders in Jerusalem, whom you might have assumed would respond to these clear demonstrations of the power of God, right? They're going to turn against the apostles. And so what, what happens is that they arrest them, throw them into jail, right? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and judgment has already begun to fall. You see that with Ananias and Sapphira. But now, now judgment in a different sense is going to fall because the leaders of the, of the nation are are united in their opposition to the work of God, right? And opposition to Peter's preaching and that of the apostles. Okay, so uh, I'm going to, uh, to read in uh, verse 17. Then the high priest, high priest rose up and all they that were with him laid the hands on the apostles, put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now, notice it's in the temple. See, still, all of this is uh, an outreach to Israel, to the Jews, and to Jewish proselytes who come to worship at the temple. Um, so the apostles are delivered. It just really is quite a miraculous deliverance because the uh, the keepers of, of, of the prison <laughs> are just totally unaware that they've even been delivered. They had to go and look to find out that they weren't in there. Somebody said, well, they're preaching in the temple. Is it? Well, that can't be. So they went and looked in the prison. They weren't there, right? 
So, uh, so, so it was. I mean, when God did this great work, it was uh, done behind the scenes, as it were. Uh, as you continue on reading there, uh, you see that God is now going to begin turning against this nation. And in fact, this short dispensation that's in effect at this time will be shut down. We're going to see that in our next meeting, Lord willing, and see how it was shut down and what the final seal of that was. Uh, so verse 26 says, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence. So they went now and, and re-arrested the apostles. And they set them before the council, verse 27. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Okay, so this is this is an interesting point. The Jews were apparently blaming the Romans for the crucifixion of Christ, right? And they were taking no responsibility themselves. And yet earlier there, when Peter preaches, each time he preaches, he says, it's you, you, you. He doesn't blame the Romans. He's blaming the Jews, right? Um, and that's very interesting, isn't it? So they want to escape that charge. They're afraid of the people. They're afraid they'll they'll uh, rise up in rebellion. And in fact, uh, they will be probably uh, destroyed in the process. They as the leaders, right? Um, but Peter responds and says, we ought to obey God rather than men. <laughs> and again, <clears throat> he, he then, uh, it's a very short message, but uh, it's one that cuts them to the heart. I'll read it for you here now. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. So. You see how the Holy Spirit and the obedience go directly together. It says then, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. So so that brings us here <clears throat> to the final section of, um, of chapter uh, 5. Verse 34, a man named Gamaliel rises up. Now, you know his name. Excuse me, I've got to clear my voice. <clears throat> voice is kind of wearing out here. So Gamaliel stands up. He is a man who's revered. Now, you might remember him as being Paul's teacher. <laughs> Saul his name was changed to Paul, was Gamaliel's, probably his best student that he had ever had, okay? And Gamaliel was the most revered teacher in Israel. We read that from the gospel accounts, right? And he gives a short speech here, which I'll just summarize for you. You should read it for yourself. But uh, basically says, be very, very careful 
and he gives a little history of all those groups that had risen up and caused trouble within Israel, uh, preaching that Messiah had already come and it was his name was this or that, right? And there were many who followed after them and so forth. And it was a very uh, interesting time religiously within the nation in those years, right? And so Gamaliel is giving this presentation, reminding him of their history, right? And then he says, Refrain, this is verse 38, Refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, he cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. <laughs> um, you would hope they would have taken the message more to heart than they did, or they did at least uh, let them go forth. And then they, of course, uh, he told they told them, told the apostles they must not speak anymore in the name of Jesus, right? But they go right, right back into the temple and keep preaching, of course, because they're obeying God and not man. <laughs> so the stage was set here. The judgment fell, began to fall with Ananias and Sapphira. And, and now the nation in its leadership is uh, like cast in concrete. Their wills are not going to be bent. They will let these men go on for a season, but they are thoroughly opposed to the message that's being preached. And even though many priests were saved, it said, I skipped that verse, but many priests were saved, uh, the beginning of the end is already underway here now. And the end will come, and when it does, uh, there will be a significant uh, revelation uh, of that, in, a, in the sense that God is going to raise up a man next. His name is Stephen. You might remember him, right? And he will now take the center stage, and we'll see how he preaches next time, Lord willing. And you know very well that Stephen's message, complete and wonderful and beautiful as it was, in fact, it's one of the most beautiful speeches ever given in the history of mankind, right? Uh, and one of the most powerful Many would believe what Peter preaches and would be saved, including priests, right? But the leader, the leaders of the nation will reject it and call for Stephen's stoning. And that is uh, what we'll consider next time, Lord willing. So... I think what, what you've probably seen today, if you've uh, been bearing with me as we've looked at this in great detail, is that God the Holy Spirit was doing a mighty, mighty work at that time. And uh, it began on the day of Pentecost with those believers that were uh, called forth at that time into a saving relationship with God and the Lord Jesus, right, by believing the message that was preached to them. And... Uh, and that message was, was very powerful regarding how God was going to hold to account uh, anyone who did not uh, submit to the preaching uh, of Peter. 
And uh, in fact, uh, if they did submit to the preaching of Peter, the Holy Spirit would uh, overcome them and there would be a great work done. That great work created this unity which we saw demonstrated here. It resulted in a um, totally, um, hmm, I don't like the word communist, so I won't use the word, but a totally uh, uh, hmm, communal, communal uh, way of life uh, that was in place, that was established by God, and no one uh, could be part of the group without fully entering into that communal relationship, right? And we saw that with Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, we saw that signs, wonders, and miracles were manifested everywhere. And uh, there were a great many healings uh, to prove it. Well, this is such a different situation than what we live in today with the church, the body of Christ. I don't think you would deny that. I hope you understand that we're certainly not living in that Pentecostal era. Many today say we are, of course, and they're drawing off many through their false gospels into uh, oblivion, right? Um, spiritually speaking, just turn the TV on, you'll see it, or go on the Internet. I don't recommend it, but uh, if you do, you'll know right off that message they're preaching is not the same that uh, Paul preached. So that's the situation. God was doing a great work, but it was a different work than he's doing today under grace. So what I exhort us to is to rest in his grace. It is sufficient. And the power of grace is great as it works in our lives to create in us really a testimony for others that we might share uh, the work of God today with those who do not yet know him and with those that do in, in fellowship with them. Isn't pure grace wonderful? I asked that question last week. I'll ask it again. Amen. Well, do you have any comments or questions today? Comments or questions uh, before we go to prayer? Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us today. And uh, the sacred historical record that we read of here uh, is compelling, right? Uh, when you do a work of that sort, it is a profound work indeed. And uh, it affects the hearts and lives of so many in the way that you ordain, right? And that's what the Holy Spirit was doing. And we exalt uh, you and your, your uh, great working at that time by recognizing it for what it was, Father. And I pray, Father, you would teach us through all of these scriptures uh, that we might be encouraged regarding the message of grace that we have received today, that we might take it to heart and uh, we might know your presence and your love uh, each step of the way of this life, whatever our circumstances may be. May there always be a song on our hearts and on our lips, and may we speak forth the marvelous truth of grace to all those around us. And may we be a true witness and a true testimony. 
And Father, we thank you for using our witness and our testimony in the lives of others as you draw them to yourself. Thank you for the great blessings that we have received. We're troubled by things we see around us in the world, sometimes very close indeed in our own families. But Father, we rest in the sufficiency of your grace. And we thank you and praise you in Christ's holy and blessed name. Amen.